You guys know what a doxology is? What's a doxology? What is it? Yeah, it's usually a song, right? There. Put the question up there. It's usually a song. Do we have any doxologies in our hymn book? We do, don't we? What's the, what's the one that usually you think of when you think of the doxology? What's the one that we used to sing? If you look in the front cover, I think it's the one in the front cover. Yes, you remember singing that? Yeah, that's a doxology. The, the word doxology comes from two Greek words. Uh, dox, uh, doxa, D-O-X-A, means glory. And logia is, anybody know, well, Katie, you can't answer this, you're not allowed. Uh, logia, does anybody know what that word means? Sometimes we see logia, ology, at the end of other words when we think about studia, but what does logia actually mean? Do I know? Katie's dying to answer. No, she's not. She's like, she's probably thinking he's mispronouncing that. Am I mispronouncing logia? No. Oh, great. That's what happens when you have someone that knows Greek. Uh, You guys give up? Katie, what's it mean? Words. Yeah. So a doxology would mean what then? Glory. Words, words of glory, right? It's talking about words of glory. Praise, right? And so we sing a, a praise to God. It's, it's glory words, right? That's literally what that means. Uh, this, in Ephesians chapter 3, we're looking at a prayer, right? And so Ephesians chapter 3, let's, let's read through this prayer one more time. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 20 and 21, but I'm actually going to go back to verse 14, the beginning of this prayer. Uh, we've talked about this for two weeks now. It says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work in us, within us, to him be glory, there's the word doxa, right? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, Amen. And so this is Paul's prayer at the middle point of Ephesians. He's going to kind of close this prayer with this doxology. Verses 20 and 21 is this doxology. And he's going to kind of close this prayer. And he's also going to close this portion of Ephesians and move into a different. There's, there's a real distinct difference between chapters 1 through 3 and 4 through the end of Ephesians. There's a real difference in how Paul approaches things. Everything we've been talking about up to this point has been about the gospel and about Christ and what God did in history past. I mean, this is everything Ephesians has been talking about. And in chapter 4, he's going to start a new you know, way of looking at things, a new understanding. And there's going to be a reason why he does that. Well, we're going to get to it uh, later when we start chapter 4. But for now, we're going to take a look at this doxology, this closing prayer. Uh, doxology. So, 
Uh, it starts off, now to him. Uh, now to him, him who? It's talking about God, right? Now to him, he says, be glory. And so we have this doxology. Now before I go on, uh, just a couple thoughts about doxology before I go on. Number one, um, it, it's when I think about a doxology, it feels kind of foreign to me. Like I don't think of myself giving doxologies or stating doxologies very often. Right now, we did, you know, show that we used to sing one of these, what we call the doxology, and so we were familiar with this. But also, um, I think that it's important to have statements like this, statements of glory, praising God for different things, for two reasons. One, because I believe words are important. Paul is clearly saying, "Now to Him, He's talking to God. Now to Him be glory." Right? But He's also saying this to us, you know, and to the original readers actually, but also to us. Right As we look at this, the words in this prayer are not just benefit to God, but really a benefit to us as he prays these things. I mean, this is a prayer, but clearly he had it written down because there was a benefit clearly for us. Does that make sense? I mean, it's a prayer, but there's also things for us. I know that sometimes I, I feel that way. Somebody will ask me to pray, and I know in my head, like I'm praying, but I'm also, there's an opportunity to do some teaching in my prayer, right? And that's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Uh, in fact, uh, I've mentioned before, we're going to have a Reflections of Excellence dinner at the school. And they asked me to give the invocation. So there I am. I'm going to be with all these uh, the, the people from the, the, from the school. And they're all going to be there, kids and parents and teachers and everybody. And they said, could you give the invocation? So I'm going to be allowed to open up in prayer. And so I'm already thinking, what can I say? What can I pray, Lord, to, to share your gospel even in my prayer? Because you can praise God and present the gospel at the same time through those things, right? And so I'm hoping for a good opportunity there. And, and clearly there's that to think about. But now, let's, let's quickly just break down this passage to see what it says. He starts off and he says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, and we're going to pause there for a second. Now, in other words, right now, right? And so you could think, of, well, he's saying now as in, not later in heaven, but right now. But he also may just be saying, now in my prayer, okay, I was saying these things, but now in my prayer I'm going to pray this. He says he is able, right? Now to him who is able. Now it's interesting. The word able showed up a few verses earlier, but it's not the same word in the original. This time the word able is actually was a word that Paul used a little while ago. It was translated as power earlier. This time it was translated as the word able. And so this is that Greek word dunamis or dunamos where I, I always tell you, this, it reminds me like the word dynamite, right? I mean, we're talking about power. Well, here it is again, to him who is able, right? In other words, to him who is powerful. So that's, that's the word. Most time that word is translated as powerful. But this time it's translated as able. And so to him who is able to do far more abundantly... Okay, now that far more abundantly than all, that, that whole phrase, there's one word in the original, and it, it, it means exactly what it th- sounds like. I mean, to, far more abundantly, beyond what we could right, think, and, and that's what he says next, beyond, way beyond anything we could ever ask or think. Now, the word think doesn't just mean what we've thought, al- thought of already. It actually means what you could perceive of. In other words... God is able to do more than you could even ever think of. Right? I mean, God is powerful. And so I'm going to put a point up here for you. God's power is inconceivable. 
Now, when I think that, I think there's this old movie, a kid's movie, where the guy kept saying inconceivable, right? And, but the word inconceivable, you can't conceive what God can do. This time it actually means what we think it means, right? It, it's inconceivable what God can do. God's power is beyond what you can even think of. Now, that's good news, isn't it? I mean, I mean, when you sit down and you pray to God and you're talking to Him and you're sharing, it, God is capable, powerful enough to do things beyond what you're able to do. I mean, in a real practical way, this just makes sense. Like, for example, when you say, you know, something simple like physical healing, right? Lord, I pray that you would, you know, heal me of this, right? If somebody's real sick or we, we go to them, we pray for them. I mean, what goes on in the process of healing, most doctors don't even, I mean, they think they understand, but what's really going on a, on a microscopic level, I mean, we can't. We don't even know. And so there's things that you ask for that you're not even, you couldn't conceive of all the things that would have to happen for that to happen. Right? I mean, you can't really conceive of what all that needs to happen for some of the things that we just ask for. Right? And he's powerful enough to do, go beyond what we ask or even could think of. Right? He can go past that. He can go beyond that. God is inconceivably powerful. You can't fathom, no matter how much you try, how powerful God is. You can't do it. It's impossible. He can do more than you can even think about. Right? He can do more than you could ever think about or ever conceive of. This is the God. This is the creator of the universe, the the initiator of the whole plan of redemption. All the things that went into that. Everything that happened for Christ to show up at the right place at the right time. Everything that needed to happen leading up to that point is beyond imagination. Not to mention the fact that while that was going on, God was holding together people's cell structures, right? And the plants were being held in place, right? And the earth wasn't collapsing or flying apart into a million pieces. I mean, why? He's doing all this, right? God is extremely, amazingly, inconceivably powerful. But then he says next, according to the power, actually the same word as the word able we saw just a second ago, same word here translated as power, uh, according to the power at work in us. Now when when I read this I thought, well that seems like a step backwards. Right? When I think power, I think the sun. Right? The universe. Powerful. Right? And then, but Paul says, God can do more than you could ever think of according to what's going on in you. Really? That's the according to we're going to use? I mean, I'm thinking, according to the power in me? I mean, that, that seems small. I mean, universe power, us power. Right? Well, there's some things to understand there. That according to the power at work in us, that word at work is the word energio, right? Like energy. It's, it's, a, it's a working, affecting kind of power. So God is able to do more than you could ever ask or think of according to the power that He is actually doing in you. Now, one of the clear points we can take from this is this. God's power, besides being inconceivable, God's power is a real, effectual power. Let me explain what I mean by that. This statement, God's power is inconceivable, according to what's at work in you. This takes, I don't want you to miss this, this takes 
universe-creating power, and it means that it's, it's working in you to help you with your marriage, your job, your work, your relationships with other people, your health, your, your trust in Him, your faith in Him, the challenges you face. See, see God's power isn't just a universe-creating power. It's a power that is actually affecting in you. It takes that and brings it home to this. Right? One of the things that Charity and I have talked about, Charity does a lot more counseling than I do, but there's a lot of people that will call her and, and you know be working on different things. And, and, and one of the things that we, we've talked about many times, and I, I would say this was probably the most important lesson in my Christian walk that I ever learned. If, I, if you said, what's the most important thing you've ever learned about how to live as a Christian, it would be this thing. It's that I am able, because of what God has done, because that power is at work in me, I'm able to do whatever God calls me to do. Because, see, a lot of times you'll face a temptation, for example, and you feel very much incapable of saying no to that temptation and feeling trapped like I can't get out of this situation. And that's just a big, fat lie from Satan. There's nothing you ever face that you don't have the ability to say, I can do, you can always choose to do because of Christ, you can always choose to do exactly what God wants you to do. You never have to say, this is too much, it's too much, I can't handle it, Right? You'll never get in a situation in your life, no, no matter what gets piled on you, you know, physical problems or these kind of problems or you know, family problems, whatever gets piled on top of you, it's never going to get to a place where you can actually say and mean it that's too much. God is powerful. And the power that He has is at work in you. This is why Paul says things like, you know, you, there's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful with every temptation to offer a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. See, God's way of escape is not to get away from it. That's not what he means. He means that in every situation, you're able to bear with that. Right? It's not about just relieving you. The, 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 the escape for us as Christians is not that God takes away all the stresses and challenges of life. The escape that God has for us is that He has given you His full power at work in you so that you can live what you need to do. I mean, that can be so liberating when you finally understand that, the freedom that comes with that. Suddenly, there's, there's nothing that is actually overwhelming. Sometimes you say, oh, it feels so overwhelming. No, it's not. It's, it just feels that way. God is able in everything. Right? God's power never runs up short for your life's challenges. This is an amazing verse. This is a verse that we could skip over real quick. But Paul says, God is inconceivably power, and His power is the same according to as what's working in you. And that, to me, is just amazing. It's it's, it's awesome. I love these kinds of words. Because I, like you, face challenges of life all the time, right? Temptations, trials, just all kinds of challenges. But God is capable in all of those things, right? He's given you the power. And the same power that's inconceivable is the power that's actually a real, working, effectual power working in you to make you to be the kind of person that God would want you to be.
And so Paul connects those two things together. Star creating power, living for Christ kind of power. Right? Universe expanding power. Right? Being a good dad kind of power. Right? It's there. You know? Expansive stars power. Trusting God in your trial power. It's there. It's connected. Now, the next phrase, though, takes it a step further. And he says this. Oh, I'm not clicking. Sam, did you uh, click something back? Oh, there he goes. There you go. Uh, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The word glory, we already mentioned this word glory. Uh, in the church, the word church is ecclesia, which means God. It's talking about God's gathered people. It literally means a gathering of people, but we're talking about God's gathered people. Forever and ever literally means from eon to eon in every generation. Uh, there's no generation that's going to get to the end of it. I mean, what's really neat about this verse, and I'm not going to talk about this today because I've talked about this a lot, but that, that magazine article, and, and uh, the other day my dad shared an article out of the News Gazette that talked about the nuns, the people that don't, you know, you know, claim the kind of abandoning church as usual and moving to different things. But clearly, this verse paints a picture of there's never you're never going to get to the end of generations where God's idea of the church is over and done with, right? The church is a great idea, but that we don't need that anymore. Our relationship with Christ individually is it? no, no, no. Throughout every generation, for eons upon eons, God is going to be glorified in His church. You can't abandon the church without also abandoning Christ. You can't separate them. They're inseparable. They're so closely connected that when Paul persecuted the church, Jesus came to him and said, Why are you persecuting me? Right? They're inseparable. The church and Christ are inseparable. And God, according to this, He will be glorified in His church and in Christ in every generation, eon upon eon. Right? Now, there's a lot of ways that God is glorified. Uh, I think of Psalm 19.1, and I don't think I put that one first, but uh, Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands, day into day utters speech, night into night utters knowledge. There's no speech or language where His voice is not heard. I love that passage of Scripture. The heavens declare the glory of God. You can't walk outside and go, wow, God's not great. I mean, God is great. Look at that. Look at that moon. Well, we had the, last night the super moon, right? Anybody hear about that? The moon was closer than, you know, it, you know it's, it's normal path that travels in an oval. So it was really close. You know, it's not closer than it hasn't been in, you know, ages gone by. But it was close, and it was a full moon at the same time. And so, you know, you go outside and... It didn't really look that much different, but supposedly it was a lot bigger. And, but, you know, you can't look at it. I mean, have you ever just look at this giant ball up there? You know, I mean, you just think about it. And, and then you just think about this. I mean, you just can't go outside and look at that. Or the, 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 the work of his hands is just all around us. So God is glorified in those things. But uh, Revelation 4.11, I like this verse, says, Thou art worthy, O Lord. Now, wait, don't read it yet. I want you to listen to this passage of Scripture, and then I want you to let yourself soak in it for just a minute. I'm going to read it, and then just I'm going to just let you soak. I'm just going to let you marinate in this verse for a second, okay? All right, we're just going to soak in this one for a minute. Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. And listen to this. 
For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Every single thing that's been created was created for the pleasure of God. You were created for God's pleasure and His glory. That's why you exist. Whatever you think your purpose is in life, it's this. You exist for the pleasure of God. The reason why your molecules hold together, God's pleasure. It pleases Him to have your body hold together. It pleases God that that your heart is still beating. If it didn't, it would stop. If it pleased Him more for your death, then that's how it would be. Everything has been created for God's glory and His pleasure. Pleasure. Listen to this in Revelation, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 11:36. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. And Paul wrote this very similar to what we're reading here. For of him and through him and to him everything. Right? To him be glory. What's the point? God is glorious and God is glorified in everything because he has made all things in our passage we're in what's he say to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen so the two things specifically Paul talks about that are bringing glory to God is the church and Christ now the, the fact that God is glorified in Christ makes sense this is what Ephesians has been all about so far this is what we've been talking about God's most glorious thing. God is, God is glorified in Christ and in His church. But God is glorified in Christ. I mean, this is what it's all about. You, you, if you think about glorious, amazing things and you think about stars and things like that, that's true. But the most amazing thing that God has done is this work of redemption in Jesus Christ. That blows everything, all of His other works out of the water. I mean, this is the most amazing thing that God has done is that He has redeemed a people. It has shown His glory and His grace and His mercy beyond all things that there would be people who were His enemies, but yet He would love them. His own creations were against Him, and yet He loved them and gave Himself up for them. What a a glorious thing that God has done in that. God is glorified, right? God is glorified in Christ and in His church. And so we bring that second part there, the fact that God is glorified in His church. You know, I'm thinking of uh, Isaiah 43:19. Crossed my mind when I was studying for this. He says, "Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert." Isaiah had just been talking about how God was saving His people during the Exodus, but yet He's saying, "There's a new thing here, right? There's a new thing." And I think about that with Christ. When when Christ came, this, this secret, this mystery, as Paul called it, hidden for ages past, has now been revealed, revealed that, that God was going to come and redeem His people for Himself. Right? God is glorified in His people. That's what it means when we say God is glorified in His church. Isaiah 61 is another good verse that goes along with this. Uh, Thy people also shall be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of uh, of, of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. Right? God is glorified in His people as they seek and turn to Him. 
It's a glorious thing when you have someone who repents of their sins and turns to God. I mean, think about it. God, God has created you. And so when God does a work in you to turn your heart back to Him, to set things straight the way they should be, that's a glorious thing. I'm not talking about being a good person. There's a lot of people that don't know nothing. Don't know nothing. Don't know anything. I've been in Georgetown too long. Uh, don't know anything about God, right? They're, they're good people. But understand this. Don't miss this. There's a lot of people that might be a good parent, but they're not doing it because God is great and to glorify Him. They're not doing it as an act of worship. There's a lot of people who are good workers, but they're not doing it because God is wonderful and it's an act of worship to Him. See, don't be, you know, don't be confused. This is where so many people are confused about Christianity. They think it's all about being a good person, you know, living right. That is not what it's about. It's about the fact that you're understanding that God is King and you're re-seeing Him as King and, and honoring Him as God. It's not about being a good person. Being a Christian, is not, that's not what it's about. It's about the fact that you are living now in a state of worship of God, which is the, the, the most important thing. Right? What's the greatest command? Is it don't steal? That's not the greatest command. Is it don't commit adultery? No. What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Right? The most important thing is that you honor God as God, as who He is. That's what the sin was. That's what the crime was when, when Adam and Eve fell. It wasn't about the fruit. It was about the fact that they said, you are not my king right now. You said don't eat this fruit, but we're going to, do it. We're going to make our own decisions in life. I know that you said this, but I'm going to do this. It's about dethroning God. And so being a Christian is about having God re put on that throne of our heart. But how can that happen when we are opposed to God except for the work of Jesus Christ and also paying the penalty of sin? It's a glorious and amazing thing. And so the response that we need to have, uh, we can find in a lot of different places. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is one, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I mean, clearly understanding this, understanding what Paul is praying about and praying for and honoring God with, is to understand that we should live for God's glory in everything. Whatever you do. When you sit down to have a meal, do it for God's glory. Right? You know, go to the store and get yourself your diet Mountain Dew or whatever. Right? Go to work. Mow the yard. Have a conversation with someone. Whatever you do, it should be done for the glory of God. Whatever you do, should be done for God's glory. First Corinthians six twenty takes it a step further, identifying it with Christ. It says, "For you are bought with a price." Right? It, it reintroduces why you should live for God's glory, and it. Paul says, because you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God because you were bought with a price. Ephesians 4.1, which we're going to get into, starts off, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy. The word worthy, walk in a manner worthy, the word worthy means the same weight. Walk, in other words, live your life, 
with the same weight of God's glory because that's the manner to which you've been called. Walk in a manner worthy to what you've been called. What have you been called? Well, what's Paul been talking about for three chapters? Right? What Christ has done on the cross for your sake and for God's glory because of everything that God's done, walk in a way that's weighted to what God has done. <laughs> yeah, right. Right? All that God has done for me and I'm supposed to walk according to that. Apart from the power of Christ working in us, that would not be possible. But that's exactly how we ought to live. Now, I don't want you to be confused, though. There's one thing we could be confused about. You might be sitting there thinking, well, if I don't live right, if I don't do what God wants me to do, if I don't honor God as God, then how will God be glorified? Understand that that's, it's not that God's glory is at stake. I don't want you to be confused. Uh, let me share a passage from Romans chapter 9, verses 22 and 23. It says, it's talking about um, God's sovereignty and salvation. And... and, and Paul says, there's some people that say, well, you, they might respond back to God. Well, what about, well, how could, you know, and they start responding back to God. And he says, who are you to question God and doing what God wants to do? Right? Who are you to question God? And so then Paul adds this statement to the end of that little conversation. He says, what if God, right? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. So God, you know, if you're, if you're not living for God, right, and you have people who are not living for God, you know, God's being patient. He hasn't wiped you out. He hasn't, you know, squished you yet. What about all those other people out there that aren't living for God at all? He hasn't squished them yet. But what if God, in choosing to make His power known, endured with much patience... Right? These vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. What for? In order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy. Right? Which He has prepared beforehand for glory. One of the realities is God is glorified even greater in those people who do not repent because then His mercy is seen so clearly. You know, you would not understand the reality of man's sin apart from the teachings on hell. See, a lot of people, they, they, they have a, a real challenge when we think about hell because you think, well, hell, I mean, that seems like, so I, I have a one little life I live here and because I don't honor God as God, I'm going to go to hell forever? I mean, that doesn't seem like the punishment fits the crime. That's because you're thinking incorrectly. When you dethrone God as in His place as God, you've committed an infinite crime. And so the punishment fits the crime. And God's wrath will be poured out on those who have not understood what God has done for them in the person of Jesus Christ. If hell was any less horrible, we would not understand the greatness of God's glory and mercy on us. If it was any less fearful, any less destructive, any, anything less about hell, we would not fully comprehend the greatness of God's mercy. Because hell, those descriptions of hell, is exactly what every single one of you in this room deserves. Because you have not loved God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind from the day of your birth. You have many times chosen yourself over Him and done what you wanted to do instead of what he wanted to do, and you've not loved him with every ounce of your being. Which is the only right thing to do in a universe that's created by him. 
and that was created for his pleasure. And you have shirked what God has done for your own glory, for your own good. And you've made your life about vacations and free time and time off and you know having a good time and everything else under the sun. And we've ignored the God of the universe. And it's not enough to say, why well, I haven't killed people. That's the least of the crimes. You have not honored God as God. And because of that, there's only one punishment to fit that crime. An infinite crime deserves an infinite punishment. But God is merciful. Beyond all comprehension, God chooses to show mercy to human beings. I don't really know why, other than the fact that He is a merciful God. He is overflowing in mercy. And His mercy is so clearly seen as we see God's wrath poured out on those who deserve it. He also shows mercy for no reason, no apparent reason to me. He shows mercy. And He's glorified in that. So don't think, well, if I don't do what God wants, then God is, not, God is also glorified. In fact, His glory is made known even brighter because of the, God's mercy towards us. Now, how do we respond to all this? You know, clearly, living for God's glory is essential. I think that the fact that this is a prayer is important to understand as we consider the need to pray for this exact thing. I'm extremely burdened for every single one of you. There's a great possibility that some of you will come to this church every time the doors are open, you'll be here. And there's a still reality, because the Bible tells us of these things. There's still a reality and a possibility that some of you, after hearing all of this, will continue to live your life for you. And because Christ warns us of this reality, there's still a possibility that one of you or many of you may one day stand before God and Christ is going to look at you and say, Depart from me. I never knew you. But I, but I went to church. Every time the doors were open, I was there. Every time I could be. And, and I, I tried to live right. I didn't know you. And so I'm burdened. You know, this prayer that Paul has leading up to this point is a prayer of comprehension that the people he's praying for, he's praying that they will, they will understand I mentioned uh, last week Isaiah, one of his calls was to preach the message you people will always hear but you will never understand. There's a real reality that a preacher can do everything right as Isaiah did and that people will sit there and hear and not comprehend that the words that they're hearing are should be impacting them. Right? That the words that you're hearing today might be God speaking to you and to your heart. You may walk out these doors and it'll flutter away. I, I shared with my family the other day, I have a hard time at the end of a message because I, we get done and I close this and then within minutes we're talking about lunch. And I was t- I have such a... That's such a weird thing for me. 
when we're talking about divine things, I mean, what God has for your life, I have a hard time transitioning from that to lunch. You know? What are we having? Tacos. Okay. You know, you know I have a hard time making that shift. It's not that I shouldn't. It's not that I shouldn't make that shift. I mean, clearly God gave an example here. Do whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for God's glory. And so I shouldn't be able to make that transition easily. Oh, I'm done talking about the glory of God, and now let's go have lunch. I mean, that should be a piece of cake, right? And then we can have some cake because it's a piece of cake, right, to do that, to make that shift and live for God. And we're going to glorify God. As we sit down, we eat together, we're going to glorify God. We should be able to do that, no problem. But I think that the reason why I, I, I have such a hard time with it is because, I, stand up here, I look at all of you, I have no idea what's going on in your head. I, I don't know if, if it's sinking in. I don't know if God's words are, are, are making an impact in your heart. If, you know, if, I'm not, you know, if you don't say, I, I just don't know. I'm sitting here saying, Lord, I don't know. We, we've been raised, many of us, to, to have a, that emotional response planned for the end of a service, right? We have the invitation, and that's when, okay. And I, sometimes I think, man, that, I can see why that would be so nice, because, you know, as a preacher, you could, you could preach, and then, then you see, you know, something happen. You know, people come down, and, oh, they're crying, and they're, you know, doing all kinds of things. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so sometimes I could see that, and I think, man, that'd be great, because then you could see some kind of response. But... The response that matters is not the emotional response at the end. The response that matters is if there's been actual repentance, a change of mind. And so when you go out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, are you actually living any different than you did last week? And so at the same time, you know, having the emotional response at the end is not what it's about. What it's about is that you repent. Maybe you haven't been living for the glory of God. I mean, God created you. He made you for His pleasure. You're to live for His glory in everything that you do. In reality, many of us, we don't do that all the time. We're not thinking, how can my actions make God look glorious? How can my actions have people look at me and go, God must be amazing. I can tell that God is this person's greatest treasure. Right? Right? I mean, are you living that way? Do people walk away from you and go, you know what, I, there's something I know about you. Not, and they don't go, well, you, you got morals. No, no, we're not talking about that. You know what they're saying? We want to hear people say, God must be amazing. You care more about Him than anybody else, don't you? God must be glorious. They probably wouldn't use that word. But that's the goal. That's what we have in mind. To, to glorify God is to live in such a way that people can see that God is your greatest treasure. So when I say glory, glory, glorify God and how you eat and drink, whatever you do, the Bible says that, I'm not talking about that you just go around saying things. Though that's good. Like in a doxology, we say glory, glory to God, right? But it needs to be more than that. It needs to be actually lived out in your life. Now, we're going to shift into a time of communion. And as always, I always mention this, and and I'll mention it again. As always, this is an opportunity uh, for us to <coughs> reflect. Though I don't want to gear you towards just an emotional response, there is a benefit in allowing God's Word to penetrate your heart and to, to reflect and say, okay, God, do I have any sinful way in me that I need to repent of? 
Is there any way in me that I, I, you know, I haven't been living for God's glory. I've been living for me. My whole life is geared about what's going to happen next, my career, my this, my that, you know, how my next vacation, my next this. And, and there's nothing wrong with all those things individually, but that is not what you were created for. And beyond that, that is not what Christ died for. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. And so, there may need to be some reflection to say, you know what, I have not been doing that. That needs to change today. Don't put it off any longer. Don't just hear these things and put it off another day, another minute, another second. If you're not living for God's glory, there's only one right response, and that is to repent. If God is not your greatest treasure, you need to pray to Him say, Lord, my priorities are all wrong. Everything I care about, if I were to list out, you'd be way down on the list. I can easily say, God, oh, I care so much about you, but the reality is, when it comes right down to it, Monday, you get bumped every time. You're not my greatest treasure. Right? You need to pray to God to change your heart. Before it's too late. Before it's too late. Because there is going to be a too late. And before it's too late, you need to get on your knees and say, God, I need, I need some serious power working in me to change me. This isn't about turning over a new leaf. This isn't about making a dedication. It's about the fact that you believe God is powerful and you want Him to work that power in you. And that's your whole dependence. It's not about a new set of willpower. It's about the fact of God's power to change your will, right? And to do a work in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in this church and in Christ for every generation, Lord, forever and ever. Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize and to comprehend the love of Christ. Lord, and what you've done for us, your inconceivable power. Lord, I pray it would be at work in each one of us in this room this week. Lord, help us to seek after you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, I pray that you'd be with each of us as we leave this building and we go to have lunch. Lord, that this would stick with us, that we would seek to live for your glory in whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do. Help us when we go to work uh, this week, Lord, that things would be different, that you would be our greatest treasure and that would begin to show out of our lives and that you would be glorified in us, Lord, that, that you would be glorified in your people. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to come back again together Wednesday and then on Sunday to, to encourage each other and to, to provoke one another on to, to living how you would want us to live. Lord, we pray and we ask these things and we ask for them only in the name of Christ. And we close this prayer, Lord, as Paul did by saying, Amen.